Hello everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast looking at games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, and this week in Reykjavik, Iceland, it's been a good week for playing some games, it's been stormy out, it's been COVID-y out, and so it's been good to be in the house, and wow have I had a couple games to play. Um... As you might have heard on the last episode, I've been playing my way through Horizon Forbidden West. I've been really enjoying that game. It's 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 wonderful. It's a masterful open world game. I've continued through it. I think I'm now at around 90 hours. Um, I'm about to finish the game. I'm on the final mission. Um, and so I think I'm going to be able to soon talk about that game um, in a holistic way and perhaps do some kind of spoiler cast, some kind of story episode and talk about all the things that I didn't talk about in that first review episode, which was really more about impressions. Um, I was also a guest on the Sifter podcast. Um, Sifter is an Australian games uh, online magazine and podcast organisation. They have three different shows. One of them is called Mainstream, and um, they asked me to come on the show as a guest to talk about Horizon, as we, we sometimes chat online, me and the producers of that show. It's a really nice show, it's very mellow, it's very lovely, really good people making the show, a really good time, a really good atmosphere. Um, and so if you want to hear some additional spoiler-free thoughts on um, Horizon Forbidden West from me and from uh, Gianni, who is uh, the host of that show. You can go to podcast.link slash mainstream to hear that. Um, thanks very much to Sifta for having me on. And I think I will be coming back to that game as well myself in the coming uh, weeks to talk about the the uh, the totality of it. It's It's been interesting, actually. The story has been... Um, after a very eye-opening early curveball that you get in Horizon Forbidden West, it's been pretty slow to unfold. Um, and now I'm at the very finale of the game, um, and some, some things are finally starting to happen, but there's been large parts of the game where you're running around the world doing bits and bobs, but the main story really, really keeps its powder dry. I don't know quite how else to put it. Um, some reviewers have talked about pacing in the game. And so after my initial uh, impressions podcast, I am interested to come back and revisit that game again and talk about it in, in, in a more holistic kind of way with the benefit of hindsight and of having played the whole massive thing. And I think it will be an interesting, uh, an interesting time to to comb back through it and to try and square the circle of how did the, the plot work, how did the innovations work, how did the open world design work in uh, in almost 90 to 100 hours of gameplay. Um, the other game that I've been playing in the last week is, of course, uh, Elden Ring, the game on everybody's lips. This might come as a little bit of a surprise to my listenership. They are used to hearing me talk about um, indie games and gentle games and artistic games, as I say in the title. Um, and this is this is a Souls game. This is one of those rock-hard, intentionally difficult, intentionally obscure games. Um, and I have always shied away from Dark Souls and resisted trying them. Um, but the hype around Elden Ring was so intense, and the, the critical response is like nothing that I've ever seen. You know, Breath of the Wild was already out, and Red Dead was already out, um, when I got back into gaming a couple of years ago, and so I haven't really seen this this uh, you know this this full ring circus of of critical response around the game before. Nothing that has come out in the meantime has had this kind of response, 
Um, anything that gets a 97 or a 98 on Metacritic from hundreds of reviewers mean that I will try that game, whether it's my kind of game or not, because I do like to broaden my horizons as a gamer. I do like to push the limits of what I'm familiar with, and I do like to just see what's happening in, in all corners of game development. Um, and so this episode, I asked Kieran Daly, who is one of the editors of the Radical Art Review, a, an old friend of mine, to, to come on the show. He's been playing Elden Ring 2. I'm at something like 16 hours, I think. Um, he is at around the same, maybe a little less, but he has gone a very different route to me. He's got a very different skill set to me, actually. Kieran likes to play games on difficult mode. I tend to play on normal mode. Um, and, you know, there is no option in Elden Ring anyway, so we both come at the game quite differently. And so we talk through the, the, the story, we talk through the UI, we talk through the combat, the world building, um, we talk through some of the bosses that we've met, some of the areas of the map that we've been to. But I would say that this is pretty spoiler-free. I think that neither of us are in a position where we've played enough of the game to spoil anything for you beyond talking about some basic functions and early game bosses, extremely early game bosses. Bosses that you could get to in the first half hour if you walked straight to them. Um, so unless you are feeling very, very uh, sensitive to spoilers and want to go in completely blind, I would say that we only talk about the first area of Limgrave. We discuss um, very briefly wandering through uh, Siufra, and wandering through Kaelid, two other areas of the game. Um, we talked through a few early game bosses, we talked through the main story boss of the first section, um, but that's all over Twitter anyway. I think that you're safe to listen to this one if you just want some impressions of Elden Ring. And I've got a feeling from my conversation with Kieran that we're both going to be chipping away at this game over time. Um, it's a big game, it's a hard game, it's a slow game to progress, um, it's um, It's got a lot going on, but it's not all served up to you on a platter. It's a very opaque story. It's a very interesting world. Um, and for, for both me and Kieran, it's actually the first time that we've engaged with a Souls game. So as well as hearing about our impressions on Elden Ring, um, Kieran had some great insight. Um, I've got my own opinions to bring to the table about, about these games. You're also getting the... Uh, the outlook of two people that are learning how to play Souls games, as well as just experiencing Elden Ring. So it's worth bearing that in mind. Uh, we are very new to Dark Souls games. Uh, the hardest game that either of us had ever played before this was Hollow Knight, um, which I struggled through and Kieran actually achieved some mastery over and went all the way to the Radiance. Um, so we, we, we're two different gamers. We have got two different approaches. We took two different um, walks around um, the, the Elden Ring introduction and I hope that you enjoyed the conversation we had um, it's quite a long one but we do try and cover a lot of ground um, I think if, if it wasn't for the Elden Ring um, and for the fact that Horizon came out just a week apart which seems crazy to me um, I think I would have been playing Far Changing Tides this week um, if you're a regular listener you'll know that Far Lone Sales is a real true indie favourite of mine it's a left to right vehicle game where you trundle through a landscape, powering your ship along. The ship has a cutaway. You have to fuel it. You have to repair it. You have to hop out of your ship to fix things and to remove obstacles. Um, it's a very interesting game. And uh, Far Changing Tides finally came out. I've been waiting for it for ages. I was very excited to see that there was going to be a sequel. Um, and so that will definitely be on the podcast. Um, 
I think I'm going to finish Horizon, maybe even today. I'm right at the finish line. I'm going to keep playing Elden Ring, but I think that's going to be a slow play. And so I expect to have some time for indie games, again, for discrete, small, few-hour-long experiences, the kind of thing that I usually cover on the podcast. And so I would expect to see Far Changing Tides on this podcast in the next couple of weeks. So normal service will be resumed but for now, here's an Elden Ring episode. I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that the uh, the type of game that I'm covering doesn't put you off if you're used to the, the relaxed indie games that I normally cover. Um, and I hope that it's uh, somewhat insightful or interesting for you to hear about me and Kieran's experience of the game. Um, and before we get into that review, I will just mention that this is a, a patron-supported show. So whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener who wants to show some support, you can do so at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. Uh, become a patron, join the Discord chat server with me and some regular listeners of the show and some friends of the show. You'll get occasional extra episodes. There are six waiting for you as soon as you uh, become a patron about video game music, about um, alternate music, some off-topic stuff, some spoiler casts on games. Um, so there's, you know, a couple of extra episodes a year if you if you like that kind of thing. It's patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. Thank you very much to all of my existing patrons, and thank you very much to you if that's something that you're interested in doing. I'll put a link in the description if you want to take up that Patreon offer. And with all of that said, let's move on and talk about the featured game of the episode, Elden Ring. Okay, so I'm very happy to have as a guest this week, friend of the show, sometime guest, Kieran Daly. Hello, Kieran. How are you? Hello, John. I'm good. I'm feeling a little bit sensitive today. It's been a big weekend. I went to the Crab Museum. Um, <laughs> but uh, but apart from that, I'm fine. Do you want to tell tell the people about a little bit about what a Crab Museum is? Because that's just too intriguing to not. Um, so I live by the seaside and where I live by the seaside has a crab museum, Europe's finest, possibly only, not too sure on that. Um, and it is a museum of all things crabs. You walk in, there's a timeline of, uh, of the history of the universe, like, uh, 600 million years ago, 200 million years ago. And then this is when crabs emerged. And this is when humans <laughs> got here. Um, so yeah, it explores everything from, I guess, climate change, um, modern medicine, uh, the 1926 general strike featuring a little diorama of like an English village uh, with like black shirts, like crabs fighting off against strikers who are also crabs um, with a little steam railway. Uh and yeah, it's just fantastic, basically. Um, so are you saying that crabs were on planet Earth before people were on planet Earth? Uh, I think they were, yeah. That's nuts. What have they been doing all the time? I feel suspicious. Um, mostly just just click-clacking, you know? Click-clacking just, around. Just click-clack. Um, well, that history probably makes about as much sense as the history of the game that we are going to talk about today. Elden Ring. Um, we've both been playing a little bit of it, and um, 
I, before this podcast, I actually went and made some notes about it. Um, I went and rewatched the intro because I had forgotten, you know, there's this kind of uh, slightly purple, prosy, um, risey, tarnished intro. Mumbo jumbo. Mumbo jumbo intro, exactly. And it had gone in one ear and out of the other. Um, but I went back and watched it again uh, because I know that you particularly were interested in the lore of this game when you started out. Mm. Um, but before we talk about Elden Ring, um, last time you were on, it was the start of the year. We were doing a uh, Games of the Year episode, and you were talking a little bit about Half-Life Alex. We talked a little bit about AC Valhalla um, and everything that we were playing. You since finished Half-Life Alex, and from what I understand, had a great time with it. And I was wondering, what have you been playing this year in the last couple of months? Um, so I haven't been gaming too much. I think I've been playing Halo Infinite a little bit, uh, and then I got I got bored, <laughs> so I stopped. Uh, and then uh, what was that other game that came out around then on Xbox? I feel like there were kind of two launches. Uh, Forza, Forza Five, and Halo were the big ones, weren't they? Yeah, I had a brief a brief journey into into Forza, and I and I played. Uh, yeah, I went back to the Last of Us Part Two on uh, the hardest difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think I just love pain. <laughs> That's, um, I mean, I found that game to be pretty harrowing on the first playthrough. Um, I'm kind of glad I played that one, but I'm not sure I ever want to play it again. Um, what made you go back? Um, <laughs> I basically got my TV mounted in my lounge. And so the PlayStation's in my lounge and the Xbox is in the other room. So... I don't know. I just wanted a game to play while I sit in my lounge and I thought nothing would help me lounge more than a horrible descent into just depravity in a post-apocalyptic Seattle. So got back into it for a little bit, but it's, it's extremely difficult. I'm on new game plus, I think survivor, mm-hmm. uh, whatever the hardest one is. And, and it's just, it's, it's just even harder. <laughs> I think right. in most situations you have to run away. You can't really fight anyone. Um, you, it becomes a lot, much more of a stealth game. I had to do a lot more of like you know sneaking around and doing quiet takeouts. And somehow I've I managed to get up to the hospital section. So near the end of of Ellie's Ellie's chapter, when she comes back to the cinema and, and says, you know, I made them talk. So I got pretty far actually, but then yeah, then other new games came out and I was kind of done punishing myself. So I might complete it one day, but yeah, I don't think I need to for a while. It's actually a good place to break. If you're going to break in that game, it's between those two halves of the game. Um, yeah. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit actually about your, uh, because we are speaking about Elden Ring today um, alongside mm. whatever else comes up. Um, I wanted to ask you about your experience with intentionally hard games like Across Time. Because if I think back on mine, like some some of the games that I played when I was a teen and in my twenties were that kind of game, um, but I didn't know it at the time. It's just it felt like games were generally harder. If I think back yeah. to finishing things like Super Metroid and like the four disc version of um, Final Fantasy VII with all of the leveling and the JRPG style bosses that that entails. So I played a couple of tough games back in the day, but there were many more that I fell off. And in recent times, I have completely not been a From Software kind of guy. I prefer lighter experiences. 
Um, but I did play a couple. I played Hollow Knight, which I bought for you as a gift also. And that's probably the hardest game I've ever finished. Oh, car horns in the background over there. And I also that's played... a li- um, lively de- time outside. And also played Hyper Light Drifter, which is um, super tough, pixel art, top-down, soulsy Zelda game. Yeah, I would say that Hyper Light Drifter is to Zelda what Hollow Knight is to Metroid. It's like a loving um, tribute to it, but it just also happens to be absolutely hard as nails. Um, mm. So I was wondering what your history is with uh, FromSoft, if you've played any, and with hard games generally, and what your kind of take is on this kind of Maso core difficulty. Um, I don't think I like have played a lot of very difficult games. I think it's only in maybe the last few years that I've started deliberately choosing the harder settings on games. I think it was, maybe it was started with Assassin's Creed actually, because I felt like I'd been playing the series for so long that I would be breezing through combat encounters. Like I just wouldn't, there was no challenge anymore. Um, And I was just learning the ropes. And I think it was on AC Valhalla or maybe the, what was the one before Odyssey and Origins. I think those I put on the hardest difficulty. Um, So not, not that long ago. And I think, I think Hollow Knight, again, was probably, like you, was probably the hardest game I'd played and completed and not just sort of walked away from. Um, and I did that to, I actually was a bit completionist with that. I went all the way to, uh, you know, the 110% or whatever. I did the I did the hard ending. Mm-hmm. I did the Path of Pain and I beat the Radiance, which is kind of a big, you know, in my gaming achievements of my life, it's pretty big. But um, I've never played a Dark Souls game. Uh, I lived with... Uh, my friend Jan, who is a long time uh, Dark Souls fan, but I never saw him play them. He just rants about them and raves about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't know. But as I'm getting older, I'm finding, and particularly, like I said, with playing The, the Last of Us 2 on the hardest setting, um, I don't know. I think there are some games where it feels like the harder difficulties was what what the game was made to be played as, and then they make them easier <laughs> for mm-hmm. a mass audience, you know? And I, and right, I notice right. in some games, if you play on a lower difficulty, sometimes they're a bit more buggy. Sometimes they'll be like, gl- the enemies will be kind of glitchy or things will go a bit more wrong because I feel like it's just not meant to be that way. So I don't know. I've been gravitating more towards this flagellation. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I think that you might have something there actually, because... I mean, I was watching um, I was watching a no-clip documentary about some people that were making um, a first-person game, and it was about their, I forget which game it was now, I'm not sure that it's out yet, but it was like a fantasy first-person game. And the devs had been making it for years, playing it and playing it and playing it, um, and they were testing it themselves all the time. And because they were exposed to it so much, they got intensely good at it, and they completely lost a handle on what difficulty is, because they were kind of Zen masters at this game uh, by that point in their development. And so they hired in a bunch of people, got loads of friends in, got loads of pizza, watched 20 people playing their game, realized it was double as hard as anyone could handle. And they had to go in and tune back and pull back all the difficulty to make it a playable experience for people. And that's kind of interesting. I mean, I found that Last of Us 2 on normal was a challenge for me. Um, there were lots. There was lots of dying. There was lots of getting mobbed. There was lots of using all my bullets and then running, screaming through the fields, and then just clambering out of that combat crucible that I was in 
and sliding into the next area the way that you do in that that pretty corridor-like game. Um, but then again, I've been playing Horizon Forbidden West, and that one feels like um, it feels pretty easy on normal mode, honestly. I mean, I've been fighting some of the big bosses of the game, uh, new machines, um, human antagonists, and that sort of thing, without dying, um, which is pretty unusual for me. Um, so I, I guess it is always like a consideration for the developer, like what is normal when it comes to the the projected audience of the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if, I guess they're privy to all the mechanics and knowledge that you wouldn't really have. But I don't know, I remember when, when we were playing The Last of Us 2 respectively, and I remember you saying, you know, you perceived Ellie to be quite like a powerful character who'd done a lot of training, whereas I played on a harder difficulty and... I thought she was very like scrappy and sort of out of her depth and Mm -hmm. kind of scraping by on the skin of her teeth in most situations. Mm -hmm. And it's funny how like difficulty can, can change your view of the character and a view of how hostile the world that they're in is in that way. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in horizon forbidden West, I feel like Aloy is just this unstoppable, James Bond-like person who just bosses through situations and gets out of everything. Um, but yeah, as you were saying with Ellie, like Aloy should feel um, in the first game. I remember, I remember the first Horizon being quite challenging. Um, it took quite a long time to build up your weapons and to build up your health and to level up. Um, and fighting against the machines of Horizon Forbidden West, they felt terrifying. They felt like this mass of steel and just malevolence, and you had to creep around, you had to do a lot of stealthing, you had to choose whether or not to take them on, you had to lay traps and then summon them and then run and hope the traps would take them out enough that you could finish them off. Um, and mm. so it was a good gameplay experience, like you were saying. It, it worked narratively that Aloy would be just one small, soft, fleshy human in a, in a fierce, mechanical world. She should feel vulnerable. Um, that mm. feeling has definitely been lost in the new game for me, on normal difficulty at least. But I mean, as a player, I don't really seek difficulty. Um, I tend to be in it for experience and story um, and to see the, con- the combat as something that has to be passed on the way. And I've never quite crossed over into that other zone where the, the challenge becomes the reason to play um, and it becomes enjoyable and you get in, into the rhythm of dying and trying and learning and that kind of cycle of self-improvement and leveling and tuning your um your loadout and all of that stuff but i don't know playing elden ring for a little bit i think i'm starting to get a little taste of what that's like um Mm. but yeah it's been interesting i think it is good to talk about this stuff because half of the conversation about elden ring is about um difficulty because it's such a smash hit game that a lot of new souls players are playing it including you and me for example the name but just two um so there is like a lot of fresh audience coming into the world of dark souls thinking that elden ring might be the one to take them on um i had Mm. no intention of playing this game until the review scores which are the kind of review scores reserved for the breath of the wilds and mario odysseys and red dead redemption 2s of this world um, were you were you planning to play this game, and were you surprised when you saw the the critical response to it? Um, I was planning to play it. I'm not I'm not sure what compelled me towards it so much compared to the other ones. 
because I just didn't really, I was never gravitated towards the the other Souls games. Um, but I just, I wrote, I, yeah, I've been kind of waiting for it to come out. I don't know why. Maybe it's just good marketing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think once I started playing it, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm very into it. You know, I'm thinking about it when I'm not, when I'm not playing it. And I think the day it came out, I was ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Well, I normally introduce the games that we are going to talk about with a little bit of a spiel. Um, but everyone knows that Elden Ring is a From Software game that came out in 2021. Everyone knows it's a third person open world RPG with brutal combat, with challenging bosses in a dark fantasy world with strange, opaque lore. Um, FromSoft, of course, are the creators of the Dark Souls universe, Soulsborne games, Bloodborne, and Sekiro. They've kind of become the flagship studio for difficult games. Um, and their particular brand of difficult games are they are grueling, they are um, tricky combat, tight combat, apparently. And this is just stuff that I had heard about, having not really tried those games. Um, um, I, I have actually been curious about them just because they are such a big touchstone um, in gaming and watched a few people streaming them and stuff. But I always felt like they looked kind of miserable. It was like this clunky character plodding, trudging through this this gloomy world between absolutely <laughs> brutal combat encounters where the player got smashed down. Um, and it almost became a meme. The you died screen is a meme at this point. Um, and the amount of dying that people do um, but Elden Ring is, is FromSoft's first open world game, and so it is um, a big change for the kind of games they've made so far, which are based on dungeons, labyrinths, and corridors leading to really difficult bosses. And so the, the chat around this game has been that the open world formula is a watershed for FromSoft. Uh, it allows for greater player freedom to run away from difficult bosses or fights and to come back later leveled up. Um, it is an open world in the true sense, I would say. Um, you can really explore very widely from the off. Um, and so it's it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. Um, I've really enjoyed absorbing the, the critical uh, response to it and the player response to it. The whole internet has been alight um, with talk about this game. Um, and I was wondering, what is your has your first impression of this one been? Um... I don't know. I've I've been really enjoying it. I've been really enjoying it, even though, you know, I I think I've just, I've tried to go into it with an open mind and I don't know. I I kind of felt that from the start that I knew it was going to be frustrating and I knew there were going to be parts I was going to get stuck on. And I knew there were parts that I was going to be quite annoyed at. (laughs) Um, And I think my first impression was, it's just very, very open-ended and, and it doesn't hold your hand at all. Like from the start, it, I didn't even, I didn't even realize there was a tutorial area in my first playthrough. I think I started the game and I like marched straight up to the castle. Right. There's a ghost, there's a ghost next, in, the, in the room where you wake up after the intro, there is just this white ghost sitting on the side of a, like a well, like a gaping well. Um, and if you talk to him, he tells you that you should jump down there and that's the way for the Tarnish to start their journey or whatever it is that he says. And I was thinking, is this going to be a trick? Because, you know, there is a famous uh, FromSoft meme that they like to 
kill the player by an unbeatable boss at the start of the game just to give you one firm slap before you even begin. And I was like, is this going to be like a trick suicide or something? But I jumped down there. And yeah, there is a little network of corridors that teaches you about striking light, striking hard, about stealthing, backstabbing, just button prompt, really. Um, And then um, a beatable boss who charges at you with a big sword in a straight line. Um, And I actually, I think I I died once to that boss just because I wasn't quite ready to to play, if you know what I mean. And then got in the next time and it said enemy felled. And I thought, okay, this seems okay, you know. If that was a little training boss, then that's okay. And then, um, and then headed out into the world. Um, and the first thing that you see out there is this giant gold knight on the back of a huge horse carrying a massive club. Um, and I think I went over and tried to hack at him with all of the confidence that I got from the training boss <laughs> and was smashed in one hit and you died. Um, but you skipped the tutorial area and went straight for the, the critical path. So how was that for you? Yeah, so I accidentally skipped the tutorial. I completely missed that guy on the horse. I only saw the what's his name, the tree guardian or whatever. Uh, yeah, I only I only saw him today for the first time. Oh wow, he is galloping around um, a little bit. Yeah, and then um, I kind of made way to that camp. I think I stole like the first camp in the game, the, uh, uh, the gate side ruins. Where there are this was quite fun actually. Just a few guys standing around to stealth and practice on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of went there. I stole one thing, and then I just, I just followed. There's like these lights that are kind of guiding you mm-hmm. in a direction. So I just followed them, and I ended up straight away at the first boss in the game, Margit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my first playthrough, so I didn't even, I didn't really explore anything. I, I, I remember trying to go into a dungeon with like these horrible gargoyle, like jade goblin things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I got stuck and I kind of hated it, to be honest, on my first go and it annoyed me and I just quit. Um, and then the second day I came back and I beat those stupid goblins mm-hmm. that had okay, been so tormenting me. Okay, so you backed me. off Margit and decided to go and play a little. Yeah, yeah. I backed off a bit and then I did a bit more exploring. Um, I guess, I don't know, I kind of realized that because it's so open-ended, a lot of, and, and it's quite similar to Breath of the Wild in this way, it's like, you almost have to come up with like the solution to the problem you're looking for is often one that, you know, is possible, but it's not going to, the game doesn't tell you it's possible. You just kind of have to try it somehow and work it out and see if it works. Um, And this is the case when I found the map fragment, because I didn't, I just Mm -hmm. thought the map on the, on the map, menu was the map and i didn't realize you right. had to it actually go out, and- uh, grayed out doesn't it you can see um you see the the rough shape of the country that you are on the lands between you can see gold circles at um sites of grace that you found which are save points and respawn points and fast travel points where you can sit at the fire and upgrade and do a few other things uh, but yeah, as you find map fragments, the map appears and it is illustrated. Still pretty featureless. Um, there will be mm. an occasional icon of somewhere that you visited, like some ruins or something. Um, yeah. But it's it's pretty it's pretty loose. It's pretty uh, guidance free. It's not an Ubisoft map markers game by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and you do have to find those map fragments, otherwise the map is grayed out completely. Um, yeah. yeah. So you found the first one for um, Limgrave, I guess. Yeah, and then I went around Limgrave. I, I think I met a couple of a couple of the friendly NPCs. So mm-hmm. there's a guy in like a shack 
who was like, I think some old general or something. And he was like selling upgrades or something. And then I went into this other shack kind of near the castle. And um, it's a very strange Northern blonde woman in there. Yeah. I've met her too. Yeah. She and she kept talking about her friends going to the spider Yep. and being like, <laughs> what she said, she's like, I didn't want to be part of the spider cause I'm a coward. It yep. wouldn't be nice being in bits and like, yeah. and yeah. I was like, "What is she talking about?" Right, it's absolutely creepy, isn't it? Yeah, um, and I found eventually found out who she's talking about. Right, uh, I think incidentally, I'm about to. yeah, it's uh, it's Godric, uh, isn't it? Yeah, Godric the Grafted, who I'm currently <laughs> stuck on for the last three days. Um, okay, okay, and uh, and yeah, I think by my, but yeah, I kind of you know met the NPCs, did all this, and then I started making progress, and once I beat. I kind of breezed through Margit, the first boss, and then I made it to the castle, which is when the game started getting like very, it seemed like a kind of more traditional Souls game, you know? It seemed mm-hmm. more, at first I thought, oh, this is more linear. It's like, go through the castle, I'm going to have to get to the boss. But then you get into sort of this castle interior and you realize it's completely non-linear, like you can go any route. And I think I spent a day trying to follow what looked like an obvious set path. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just couldn't do it. I kept getting into a fight with a bird that had knives mm-hmm. um, and losing. And then I sort of just, I jumped onto a wall that just didn't look like anything. And I followed it round, and it was like a shortcut through the castle that it let me avoid the majority of all the enemies. I didn't have to fight anybody really. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of just legged it through this courtyard full of enemies uh, mm-hmm. And I made it straight to Godric. And so I realized like, oh, this open world even applies to these areas which seem quite enclosed, but are actually mm-hmm. it has like five different paths to get to the same place. Um, and uh, and I thought, okay, this is what the rest of the game is going to be like. Uh, and then in the like my lack of beating Godric, the grafted, I was like, okay, I'm going to go and today I'm going to go try and level up some more somewhere else. So I took my horse and I went, south to like the region that's south of um the the first area it's worth saying actually that i mean just just to explain that is that even if you get to a boss um there is a save point before the boss which is a godsend um and i think actually given the framework of this game a generous concession to playability um that they will put a save point before the boss to allow you to go away and level up. So you wouldn't have had to go all the way back through the castle to escape again. You can fast travel at any time in this game, unless you are, I think, engaged in active combat. You can fast travel at any time and you can get out of active combat just by running away from it. So it does let you fast travel around the map to anywhere that you've been already, to any site of grace that you've discovered um, and to landmarks too sometimes. Um, which is great. I mean, not many open world games do that, or if they do, it comes at some cost, or you have to do it from a campfire. This just lets you open the map, fast travel at will, um, which I think is is actually really helpful in this game, especially given the the experience you're describing of coming to an absolutely brutal boss that you're probably underleveled for because yeah. you've rushed through to get to them quite quickly without taking out all the enemies along the way and searching every corner. Um, so it's pretty cool that you could just fast travel out of the castle and head south. I mean, yeah, I went to, I guess in my mind, I thought, okay, this is the trajectory now of this game is 
I fought the main big boss, Margate. I'm going to go through the castle. I'm going to go this, do this other boss. And then the path is going to lead me from there. And then I went south to this other region. Mm-hmm. And I realized it's just a complete other region. I could just do whatever I want in it. And if I wanted, I could just peel away completely from this little castle jaunt I've been on. And mm-hmm. I, I don't remember the name of this area, but I went up into these hills and suddenly the sky turns blood red and there's like these fleshless muscle zombies yeah. and like horrible vulture birds and like scorched earth. And it's kind of this, and and I've just got there and it's a, like a different region and there's nothing sending me back to the castle if I don't want to do it. And mm-hmm. it's sort of changed my conception of what the game is in a way. Cause I thought, Oh, I'm plodding along on my little path. And actually the whole time <laughs> I could have just gone some done something else. Right. Right. I mean, I think that your path is actually quite interesting compared to mine. Um, I was starting this game almost gripping the pad with fear. I honestly didn't want to play a Dark Souls game, but (laughs) these 10 out of 10s, this 98 Metacritic score, the idea that it maybe is a little bit easier and more manageable, um, the fact that a colleague of mine, Ashley, told me that if you can beat Hollow Knight, you can beat Dark Souls. You just have to get into the rhythm, um, and it's basically the same skill set. Um, all of these things encouraged me and my curiosity got the better of me. And so I bought the game. Um, there were so many people talking about it. I even dipped out of Horizon Forbidden West, which I'm loving and about to finish, as listeners will have heard last week. Um, and I started Elden Ring. And I've had, I think, five or six sessions on the game so far. The first one was the one where I was smashed by that rider that I was talking about, that I just turned it off at that point and thought, okay, I'm going to come <laughs> back to this. Uh, the second one, I got to the Gateside Ruins. It's this this camp that we were talking about where there are, I think, 10 guards that are all grunts, basically. There is a trumpet guy who will summon them all if he sees you, and that means you're in trouble because they're going to mob you, which is death. And then there is one elite enemy, a knight in armor with a covered face and a giant sword who is not to be fucked with. Um, And I spent the entire second session um, just on this camp. And I thought, I'm going to clear this camp. I'm going to learn how to backstab. I'm going to learn how to parry. I'm going to die. I'm going to try. I'm going to die. I'm going to try. I'm going to die. I'm going to try. And so it took me probably two hours worth of play. Um, I wasn't able to get the backstab very easily. It turns out there is no button prompt when you backstab someone. Um, But you can stealth around. You can crouch. These, These guards aren't very alert. You can get behind them. It turns out you have to be directly behind them and touching them before the backstab mechanic will work. Otherwise, you just hit them. But I did. I learned that. Um, I was leveling up all the time. I was dying often, picking up my runes from the site of my death, and then going back to the campsite and leveling up again. And so I think I got to level 25 from the starting level of 18 um, before I was finally able to stealth every guard in this camp by learning where they were, learning their movement patterns, backstabbing them in places where no one else would see, getting the trumpet guy first, taking out the guard dogs, and eventually on try number probably 20, was actually able to kill that elite guard. Um, I just powered up to the point where I was doing enough damage, I'd learned how to block, and I was able to take him out. And I thought, okay, that's it, I'm ready for the game now. So I I treated that camp as the whole of the, the, the universe for that entire long game session. After which, um, I avoided the castle by accident. I went up the driveway to the castle, um, took a right, walked around the side, and it turns out there is a ledge that runs right around the side of that castle, and you can just keep going. You can skip the castle completely and end up at 
an area called uh, Leona Lake, um, which is just a whole different area of the game. So I skipped the castle by accident. I wasn't following the light, and I ran around up there a little bit. I got killed by some giant crabs. Um, <laughs> and then um, on the next session, I decided to just go and explore the world. I thought I need to level up. So I'm just going to run around. So I took my horse. And if you're on your horse, um, which you can summon instantly anywhere, it double jumps. It's really convenient for getting around fast. And you can run away from any combat. Hardly anything can catch you on your horse. And then just spent one session for about two hours running around the world, um, finding chests, uh, robbing things in regions that I had no right to be in yet. Um, I went to Kaelid, that red place that you're talking about, the hellscape. And um, oh, yeah. found a couple of those black carriages that have chests in the back and robbed them while the monsters weren't looking and ran away again. So I found some really good weapons. Um, I looked up a little bit of guidance on where to find the weapon that was in my class, the warrior class, and found a weapon called the Twin Blade. Um, found a lot of smithing stones, which are valuable resources for upgrading your weapons. Found a bunch of golden seeds that allow you to have more flask charges. And things like that. So I, I powered up my flask. I got six flask charges. I powered up my twin blade. So it's twin blade plus two. Um, I killed a lot of enemies and was leveled up to I think level 20, 27, 28 or something like that. Got some good armor, bought some chain mail. And I was thinking, okay, I feel I feel good in this game now. Um, but that that's about nine hours of play that we're talking about there. And so my yeah. journey in the game was really about learning the basic mechanics getting a feel for the landscape and running around um, and using that that right that you have to just go anywhere at any time. Um, I also found the the Siofra River. Um, have you been there? I haven't. It's, it's um, You just find an elevator at some point and go down, and it's, it's kind of under the world, a whole other world under the world. <laughs> uh, very <laughs> cool. Um, I went to the Leona Lake Shores. I found a couple of mini-bosses. There was a guy called the Mad Pumpkin Head um, who killed me a bunch of times um, until I had found that you can equip spirits that you can summon, which are very, very helpful in combat. So yeah, I took a very different trajectory to you. Um, in the end, though, it gets to the point where if you're feeling powerful and you're feeling like practiced, um, then I thought, okay, I could probably take that castle driveway now that I had veered around before went back mm. and just murdered the 10 soldiers that are guarding that pretty easily. Um, and then was able to enter the castle and go to that first hellish boss, um, which was very, very difficult, but which I managed to get by. Um, so we took very, very different trajectories in this game, which I think is interesting. It's like everyone that you talk to has a very different experience of the game and, and that's a strength, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just interesting. Uh, well, firstly, I'm just impressed that you're still playing it because <laughs> maybe a few days ago you were you I awoke <laughs> to just messages from you of like sheer uh, you know despair almost. <laughs> right, I did have <laughs> this, a flame this out. Game. Yeah, I had a flame out on that pumpkin head boss where um, I was trying and getting him halfway down his health. Um, I lost all my runes. Um, and I really, really had like a pretty hardcore rage quit and became pretty angry with the game. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, a day, like hats off to you, you know, a day or two later, you're kind of, you seem to have kind of picked up, picked up the baton again and actually, I'd say gone further in the game and spent more time in it than me. Um, mm -hmm. even though I was probably more enthusiastic to, to do that, uh, over the last few days, 
Um, so it's, it's, and I mean, it's kind of interesting seeing you uh, transition from <laughs> this, like, uh, I guess, reluctant, almost anti, anti Elden Ring player to actually beginning to master it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I think I was ready to dislike the game, to be honest, but I was also ready to like it. I went in, I went in skeptical of FromSoft games because intentional difficulty isn't that attractive and fun to me. Um, you know, I really scraped through Hollow Knight and it was only because of the world building and the beautiful story and the graphics and music. It was like I had to explore every corner of the Hollow Nest. I needed to know everything. It was just an entrancing game. Um, and I don't know if Elden Ring quite has that. Um, one of the things that I did want to talk about actually is, as I said, I watched the, uh, I rewatched the introduction to the game to try and make sense of the, the lore of this world and to figure out what's happening here, what the story is. And, and if it is going to be like hollow Knight in that way. Um, and it turns out, so the intro is a series of, um, stills basically that look like dark fantasy horror paintings. There is a snake burrowing into someone's head. There is, um, you know, cities falling to ruin. There is grotesque monsters and things like this. But it seems that the story is that the lands between have fallen, that the queen, the eternal queen, has vanished, that there was something called the Night of the Black Knives, where the heroes of the realm were killed, and then the uh, the children of the queen basically went feral. They smashed the Elden Ring, which is the ruler's ring. They kept a piece of it each, um, and then they sat on them. Um, They had a war to see who would rule. Nobody won the war. And so they've just been kind of going rotten, holding onto this powerful shards of ring. Um, And the land has fallen. There was an event called the Shattering that is referred to. Um, I'm not exactly sure what a tarnished is, but there is the famous line, rise ye tarnished, ye dead who yet live. And, And at that point in the intro, the guy just kind of starts shouting out names like a kind of a drunken diss track. Ever brilliant sun face, the loathsome dung eater. And at that point, I just creased up with laughter. It became pretty absurd <laughs> to me. Um, just his, his kind of hysterical ranting, very easy to parody. But the intro finishes when it says, you are tarnished of no renown, crossing the fog to stand before the Elden Ring and become the Elden Lord. So that's the setup for the story. Um, yeah. It's very easy to, I mean, I always find intros go in one ear and out the other. Uh, pretty much, which is why I had to rewatch it. I'm glad that I did rewatch it just to get that context again. Um, mm. But as far as the story goes, what have you picked up so far? Um, without, I think it's okay to talk. You, you've you've only really done Limgrave and Stormhill and gone south a little bit, um, and yeah. I've done like a, a wide ranging um, explore of similar areas. So I don't think that either of us are far enough in the game to actually give spoilers, even if we wanted to. But I was wondering, yeah. from from all of the random NPCs that you've picked up, um, what little fragments of lore did you get from them? What did you learn from them? And and what are they like? How did you find the storytelling in this game? Um, I mean, I think the tempting thing, and especially the fact it's with the whole George R. R. Martin thing, is that like, or or especially that kind of what this game is alluding to, which is things like Lord of the Rings and everything, is to think of this like. I know expecting this big epic story, like meta story almost that like mm-hmm. over what, like kind of over what's the word kind of characterizes the whole like un- universe of this game. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, the grand history, you mean? 
yeah, like a big meta narrative, a big grand history of the game. And, and that's what's going to be interesting about it. Um, I don't actually think that is what is going to be, int- it is interesting about the storytelling. I think it's, it's probably a lot more like um, Hollow Knight, actually. I think the, the mm-hmm. story is pretty similar. It's like there was a kingdom that worked <laughs> and then it became greedy and corrupt and then it fell and you're living in the, you're in the ruins of it now. And I think a lot of the, the fun storytelling moments seem to be on a very small scale of mm-hmm. like the little characters and the little things that, uh, that you encounter along the way rather than like the whole grand uh, big story that, that there's kind of the backdrop for this. I mean, I was reading an article about Jarburg, mm-hmm. which is like this town in the I game. Apparently. Yeah. I, I don't know about this. It's uh well, you, the, you, have you met any of these like <laughs> animate jars? I met one. Like these- he had his ass stuck in the earth and I had to whack him out of it. Yeah, so he's like a friendly jar. Mm-hmm. And there's some hostile jars as well. But then there's Jarberg where the jars live. Um, and they're like kind of like, apparently it's quite like a nice sort of peaceful place, uh, mm-hmm. Jarberg. And uh, and the jars are kind of there and they're, you know, they, they tell the player a bit about how they've been kind of oppressed by Tarnished and other people who just want to smash jars and use them for crafting it's ingredients. It's like a joke about Zelda. <laughs> yeah. And they've got this, uh, and they've made this like peaceful little town where, you know, little jars can like live in harmony. Um, and I was, and I was reading this and this, the writer was saying, I never want to break another jar again. Cause you know, I've seen that the jars just want to live peacefully. Right. And, uh, I think little things like that, you know, or, um, feel like Godric the grafted, who's apparently kind of a weakling who became strong by, you know, hacking off bits of other people and, and stealing them and putting them on himself. Like in that boss battle, Holy shit. um, the half, the halfway point of the boss battle, um, if I'm allowed to say it is, uh, I don't know. It sounds like it. you're about to get spoilery on, on, on Godric there. Spoilery on Godric. Well, I won't say anything then, but <laughs> sounds like something horrible happens halfway anyway. Yeah. Uh, he, he steals power from another thing basically. Okay. Um, okay. But, you know, something like that, that's where kind of character is coming in and a bit of storytelling is coming in. And I feel like it's that stuff that gives the world much more of a color and interest on a story perspective rather than the weird narrator at the start or these, you know, these big characters who are, yeah. <laughs> who are saying, uh, they're loathsome dummy dung eater. <laughs> right. What the hell I think is that all about? Honestly? Yeah. It's more these little things in the world, these little details um, yeah. that I'm, I think are more fun actually. And you can see where they've had fun making them as well. I agree with you. I think, I think there is this grand intro and it is silly. It's pretty silly, high fantasy nonsense, um, pretty epic sounding, uh, but shouting out the loathsome dungy. I, I don't know. And they have a brilliant sun face. It's just, it's just preposterous stuff. Um, but there is something about this world. Um, there is something about it. Um, the first thing that I noticed when I ran out of the the vault where you begin is that the world is very desaturated. It looks a little bit like Shadow of the Colossus. There are these kind of distant structures stretching out into the distance, stretching out beyond the horizon. You can see the mountains. You can see the broken castles. You can see things around you. The, the visual storytelling is really good. It's definitely a fallen realm 
Um, you can see as you run around, there are these strong guards that seem to have subjugated this race of, in inverted commas, nobles who are now basically like shambling zombie slaves. So as you're riding around this world, you can see these kind of cliff faces where people are mining uh, and quarrying rock out of the cliffs. Um, all of the animals seem to have turned poisonous and wrong. Um, all of the wildlife is kind of, the whole world is like nature gone wrong. Um, and it's super interesting in that way. Um, there is also a lot of super surreal, dark fantasy in this world. Like I think some of my favorite points have been just moments where you come around a corner and see something and it tells you a lot without giving you like story beats particularly. I mean, there was one when I was in the Siofra River deep underground and I was um, exploring this broken stairway and you can look out into the stars and you can see this, this broken castle just hovering far out of reach and there's someone standing on it, holding a sword, just looking into the stars as well. You can't reach them but they are there and you get that atmosphere that you get when you see, you know, there's people that make like six foot long, very detailed fantasy paintings, the kind of things that you would see on the cover of a fantasy novel. It was a little yeah, like, like that. um, what's, what's his name? There's the old, uh, prog rock artist who used to do, uh, the covers for like, yes, like yes albums, Roger, Roger D King, I think Roger Dean. Okay. Uh, yeah. Very, that kind of sci-fi visual style of, floating islands and mm -hmm. sort of you know land masses growing like mushrooms yeah exactly and there was another one where i think i was just in limgrave and i was riding towards the castle i took a little side trek and you see these giants these giants that have their their kind of stomach uh, intestinal cavity is just rotted away and they are emaciated forlorn looking shambling giants and you see a couple of them pulling one of these black carriages um, guarded by a couple of those horsemen. Um, and it, it was very striking and very melancholy and kind of transfixing in that dark fantasy way. There's a lot of moments where you'll, you'll see, you'll encounter someone just very strange. Um, that point when I, when I skipped the castle by accident, um, by walking around the ledge, there was this old woman sitting on a bridge and she's kind of curled up into a ball and her her feet look like hands and they're clutching onto a broken pillar. Her arms are really thin, her eyes are empty and she's holding a staff with bells on the top, like just little round bells, like cute little bells. And she's just very weird and she says, show me your fingers. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? This is like every encounter you seem to have with someone here, like all of these the people that have survived the apocalypse that has happened to this world, like that little Santa looking shopkeeper who's sitting in a shack, like the, the lost maiden that you described who is kind of going through whatever the hell she's going through as a survivor in this world. Um, the old lady that you meet, all of the NPCs that you meet, there's this guy huddled under a ship down on the beach who will sell you stuff too. They're all just hiding and they all give you little tastes of the world. Um, and so I think, you're you're right in that the storytelling is like Hollow Knight 2, or perhaps more accurately, Hollow Knight storytelling is like Dark Souls storytelling. Um, <laughs> and I actually quite like that um, the, the larger narrative and the world is filled out through these almost playful, small encounters that are at times yeah. humorous, that are at times surreal and bizarre, like the jar guy, for God's sake. What the hell is that? Um <laughs> 
And so there is like an Alice in Wonderland quality to the whole thing. There is also just this dark, deep, existential, misery, horror feeling that's quite heavy that hangs over the whole thing. Um, and so it's it's quite an interesting construction, I think. Um, the narrative is delivered in small bites, and slowly but surely, you start to thread together what happened in this world. Um, after I mm. beat the uh, the pumpkin head boss, um, there was a hidden room behind him where there's a lady that you can talk to who tells you a little bit more about where she's from, a different part of the map that you haven't found yet. She has a little bit of story for you. Um, and it seems like in object descriptions, you'll often find little clues as well. So there's lots of breadcrumbs, there's lots of color, um, and, it, and it is quite interesting from that perspective. It's probably the thing I like most about the game so far, actually, is this mysterious Alice in Wonderland surreal dark fantasy vibe. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, <laughs> you just, you just, I just feel sorry for these people, to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're not having a good time, are they? No, it's a miserable world that you find yourself in. That's for sure. It's 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 really morose, isn't it? It's a, it's a it's a grim place, and everyone is having a lot of trouble. It's just um, it is miserable and it is dark. Then the atmosphere of it is heavy. It does have those silly mm. moments, but but it's pretty intense place. The lands between. Yeah, and it just also it just also makes you think like like some of the stuff I see, and I'm like, how do they even think of it? Like what? What depraved mind, <laughs> mm-hmm. like even manufactured this, <laughs> mm-hmm. like just you know insane things that I would never, I don't know, which would never even cross your mind. Yeah, and they've kind of, and they haven't just done it once. It's like every single thing you encounter has yeah. some sort of sick, twisted, like a uh, reflection of of nightmares almost. Yeah, they're like visions. They're like nightmare visions everywhere you look, aren't they? Yeah, and it's but it's, it's funny you mentioned the shopkeeper at the start because um, there's been this meme going around. I was I was reading the Elden Ring uh, Reddit and and I was kind of struck by how supportive it was. Firstly, you know, people are quite seeming to wanting to help other players and be quite friendly, which is I was expecting it to be a lot more kind of competitive and like get good noob kind of thing, but. Um, there's this meme going around on one of um, the fact that obviously you have this hub area um, that I've forgotten the name of. What's the hub um, called? The Round Keep or something like that. Yeah, that place. Um, but people are kind of joking that for them, the real hub is the guy, the the first guy, the merchant in the <laughs> church. And they're saying that it's the main place they feel safe and comfortable in in the game. And players who are really far into the game say that they still fast travel back to that church mm-hmm. when they want a break, even though they don't have to go back to him ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, That's kind of funny. And- I've actually done that myself. You know, I have actually gone back there. I use him as my go-to when I've got a lot of shit to sell. Um, I always go back to him to sell it. He's like the, he does feel like, um, like a known, a knowable quantity in an unknowable world somehow. Yeah. He's just, and he's kind of always happy to see you. And it's just kind of, it's a chill little, little spot really. And, um, and it's a, a rare, maybe it's because it's the first person you meet and, mm-hmm. and he isn't like, he isn't hostile to you like everyone else. And there's something kind of comforting about that, even though you don't ever get any more information from him. I think, I don't think his lines change. I don't think mm-hmm. you develop a relationship with him. He's just kind of, I guess it's like in, and again, in Hollow Knight, when you first start, there's that that guy on the bench, right? Uh, 
that you could chat to. Yeah, it's the, the village <laughs> elder in a dirt mouth. Yeah, it's the same kind of thing. And I, I just think it's funny that people have entered this horrible nightmare world and they're looking for... The game wanted you to go to the the hold, right? The, the dedicated hub area, but mm-hmm. instead people are looking for places that they're manufacturing their own comfort and safety. Yeah, the hub um, doesn't feel safe. It feels strange. There's lots of blank-eyed, monstrous, uh, tarnished warriors standing around. There's a weird golden guy who won't talk to you as a skull for a head. There's lots of people with lots of different problems. There is a creepy kind of conjoined twin uh, crone who wordlessly sells you spells. There is a a blacksmith covered in barnacles. Um, it's not exactly a, like a happy homes in, in the hub, is it? <laughs> no. no. And that first guy cr- is dressed like Santa um, for some yeah, he's reason. He's dressed like Santa and he just, you know, he's got his little fishing rod out or something and he just, I'm just going to crouch in like a pile of rubble with Santa and sell, <laughs> sell him meat. <laughs> exactly. But I think... Um, yeah, I think that the story and the the world building, if not the story, I, I'm curious to see how the story goes and if and how far into it I'm able to get as a player. To be honest, uh, but the world yeah. building is has been really good so far. But I mean, I guess you can't talk about this game without talking about combat. Um, so this is my first Souls game. Um, I'm not uh, clued in at all on the combat conventions of this game. I have been an action adventure player. Um, as I say, I feel very comfortable in Breath of the Wild. I feel very comfortable in, uh, you know, games like Horizon, games like uh, uh, witchery, third-person, slightly RPG action adventures, where you're you're mostly just mashing buttons and occasionally dodging and getting through it. Um, this is very different. This is a completely different combat convention. Um, it feels very slow. I would say the thing that struck me about Dark Souls combat, um, first of, of all is how sluggish it is. Uh, People talk a lot about reaction times um, and pattern learning, and they talk in such hushed tones about this this tight, difficult combat. And what really surprised me about it, first of all, is um, it doesn't really tell you how to play. Um, The tutorial (laughs) tells you what buttons to press, but it doesn't tell you about so many things that are under the hood. And the longer that I've played, the more I have started to attune to things that are under the hood. For example, shield breaking. If you have an enemy that has a shield, you can hit them all you like, and you will not break their shield um, unless you do very specific kinds of attack. Once their shield is broken, you can get them. Um, They also have these very slow wind-up animations, especially bosses, where he'll reach back with a club, keep reaching, keep reaching, keep reaching. It's like five seconds. And you know that this huge (laughs) blow is coming and you can't hit him because he's not going to stop the animation. And so you just have to wait. You have to get the timing. You have to try and either get out of the way, roll through it so that your invincibility frames happen at just the right time. Or if you're some kind of intense Dark Souls ninja, you can parry it and smash the blow away um, with a perfect parry. Um, so it's very slow. It's very sluggish combat. Um, it's pretty strategic, I would say, uh, more strategic than I was expecting. And it, it really just took me a long time to get, get a handle on it because it feels so different from anything that I've played before. Um, and so I think it took the first six, seven, eight hours all of the time when I was just taking down that camp over and over, um, and running around the world and starting to fight a couple of bosses and so forth. Um, just to just to get the basics, it took a really long time to tune in 
to what this game wants you to do, to start mm. to learn the things that lie under the hood, to start to learn that if you hit someone with heavy attacks enough times, they will stagger, which means that they'll sink to their knees, and that is your opportunity to carry out a critical hit, which will take a significant chunk off their health. It's not taught to you. None of that is taught to you. It feels like there's a lot of statistics whirring under the hood, and until you really have an understanding of that, the combat is intensely difficult, intensely difficult. And I think I've got like a little bugbear about this, actually. I think that the fact that so much is hidden from you, that there is so much intentional opacity in how the combat functions, and that there is so much intentional opacity in how to equip and use and level up um, your statistics, your different weapons, your armor, you're not walked through any of that stuff. Um, I've been on Google on a lot whilst playing this game, just trying to figure out what the, what the hell things are for. Why can't I use this giant sword? Why isn't my spirit bell working? Um, what what does this summon thing do? Um, and all of that stuff. And so I've really had to do like some investigative work to get my head around the gameplay. Um, and so Dark Souls combat has been unexpected. It's been slower. It's been opaque. Um, a lot is hidden. There is no tutorialization at all beyond telling you which buttons to press. Um, so I was wondering how your, your experience has been as it, as it's your first souls game too. Um, what has your take been on this combat system? Um, I don't think I struggled with like the basic principles, right? Like I've, I'm kind of familiar with just things like parrying and hitting and everything. I didn't struggle with that. Um, I think the opacity is a tricky one really because, it seems like the combat is so open-ended. Like there are so many different ways you could play the game, whether that's like depending on your loadout or, you know, whether you play a ranged kind of play style or magic or anything like that. And it's, I almost feel like if I'd started the game and I'd had to sit through, you know, maybe up to 40 minutes of just tutorial or menu or, you know, outlining every single different way you could play the game, I think it would have been kind of tedious in a way. Um, but it's also very unhealthy. So in a way, it's I think it's kind of good that you've kind of left your own devices. But on the other hand, it also <laughs> makes it very difficult. I think the main thing is that a lot of other games sort of, I guess, build the expectation that at some point you're going to master it and you're going to be great and that is just not the case with these games. Uh, I, I think no matter how good from what I've, you know, from friends and everything, I think you get better at certain elements of fights or like boss fights or anything, you know, things like you might get good at dodging your time. You might get better, but no matter how good you get, um, you're still going to get just like bulldozed uh, regularly and with like great ferocity probably for as long as you play the game. And mm -hmm. um, and I don't think they apologize for that. I think actually they encourage that, the creators of the game. Um, so I almost have a feel, I, I, it's almost like I've kind of had to make peace with that. And just, obviously there's moments where I've been getting very angry if I've been losing a lot. Like for Godric the Grafted, he's been really making me annoyed Mm -hmm. And I've just had to go, okay, either I walk away in the game or I walk away from the game for a bit and then come back. And I think just recognizing that I'm not going to conquer it. Uh, I'm just going to, it's like a very slow tug of war 
but I'm ne- and I'm never going to get the end of the other the other end of the rope basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess it's like almost like an expectations management thing. I mean, this, I wish it had told you a bit more about the magic because I've been playing uh, co-op on some of the boss fights, and some players come in and they just do these amazing spells, mm-hmm. which look cool, and they do huge damage, and it's like they're effective, and it's a different way of playing and. I don't know anything about it. I don't know how to get spells. I don't know how to learn them. I don't know how to use them. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that information is buried in like item descriptions in your inventory, you know, or I've actually noticed the loading screens when it will say like the tips for the game. A lot of your key information is buried in the loading screen uh, between deaths. Um, so yeah, it's a trigger really. I mean, it ha- I think... I wasn't immediately alienated by the fighting in the way you were, but Mm -hmm. equally I haven't been trying to engage in every fight. I think most of the time I'm looking for a way to either run away or sneak around or Mm -hmm. avoid combat with the big bads basically. Um, And I think it is possible to do that, but at the same time, it's yeah, I don't think it's ever like, I feel like certain games, like, I don't know, even like the first horizon, like zero dawn, I think by the last 10 hours of the game, I had all this amazing kit. I could basically sort of breeze through any encounter. It felt easy, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't think these games have that progression. I think you get better at fighting worse enemies and then it throws more and better enemies at you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think yeah, I, I, I think it's, I'm going to be with the game for a while purely because of how hard it is. Um, and making peace with that fact is, is going to be the main thing fueling me, Mm -hmm. I believe. But equally having beaten some of these people who are, you know, one day you walk away from the game angry and you think I am never going to defeat them. And then the next day there must be some studies on this, some psychological, no, psychological studies. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I'll have a boss fight and I won't, I'll lose, I'll lose, I'll lose, I'll lose. And I go to sleep in my life, in my real life. And I wake up and the next day, all the movements are silky smooth and I know exactly what the boss is going to do. And it's almost like it's the rhythms have sunk into my unconscious a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I find it easier all of a sudden. And when you do triumph, like I think I've cheered every boss I've beaten. I've literally been like, (laughs) yeah. Um, And I totally understand what the guy Miyazaki is saying when He's trying to bring people the joy of like overcoming adversity. And, and I think when you do actually do it, it it's, there isn't a, another feeling like it. I don't think in, in gaming. Um, so I understand why they've done it. It just wish it wasn't so annoying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I picked a warrior to play this one. Um, and I didn't know what I was doing at the start. There are all these different classes that you can pick up. You can be, like you said, a mage who does little twinkly spells from far away. Um, You can be a samurai who has very fast movements and a bow. I picked a basic warrior class. I don't know. I think something about seeing people play Dark Souls just made me gravitate to a basic knight kind of character. I thought this is how you play a Dark Souls game. I'm just going to come at it the basic way and try and have the experience that I've seen so much of. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. And I would say that it does annoy me that I had to Google so much. Um, it does seem that 
there are there's there are some basic courtesies that you can take as a game maker. Do you know what I mean? And ed- yeah. properly educating your players in the mechanics of the game seems to me to be like basic courtesy that has been ignored here. And there is a part of me that wonders. Um, I mean, a lot of JRPGs are like this too, you know. And and Dark Souls is a JRPG in some ways. It's very levelly. It's very grindy. It's boss focused in those ways. It has mm. a different style, different art style, and different tone. But it, it does have that connection to that JRPG lineage. And I do wonder if if the lack of tutorialization is a way of adding more mystery to it, um, which would annoy yeah. me greatly if that was the case, um, or or <laughs> if it's oversight and that uh, they just want players to learn it and they just haven't mastered tutorialization. Mm. I think it's more. Um... I don't know. I don't know. I almost get, I almost reminds me of, it's like the principle of breath of the wild in, in terms of, we're just going to throw you in a landscape and like, you can work out solutions to things yourself. Mm -hmm. If you think you can do it, you can probably do it. Um, there's something nice about that, I think. And Mm -hmm. the idea that you'll happen upon a solution to something yourself it's quite not, I know it feels satisfying to me. I feel like, okay, like that thing didn't work. That thing didn't work. But if I did this with that, would, would that be possible? Or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's almost like it's not, I don't know. It's not treating the player as, as dumb, but it's also like <laughs> very much not helping people who aren't comfortable with it. Um, mm-hmm. I think there are my main gripe probably with the, in terms, in terms of that usability thing and in terms of the, accessibility is actually in the multiplayer i think is this the the one feature that has really irritated me is the multiplayer because it's a very weird system it's like you have three different fingers in your inventory and different fingers summon different types of multiplayer play like one is co-op and one is pvp and you can, and it's just it just it's kind of bonkers you have to me you have to they, in 2022 you have to firstly find an item in the game and then use that item to summon someone and then if they if your host or whatever dies in a boss fight you know you might have got the boss down to the last five health i think if the host dies i should still be able to continue the fight and mm-hmm. maybe win why am i getting booted out after making all that progress because Mm-hmm. someone in the party was weaker i find that very annoying i was like, actually just just let me stay like we've come this far mm-hmm. um and yeah i think that's something they could really you know i think they could probably put co-op in the whole game it would work fine you know if they just if they let you run around with your friends um all you all you wanted as, a, as just an optional thing i think a lot of those difficulties would become i know less significant maybe mm-hmm. um but they just don't have a like a like a robust sort of design like modern design system for for handling that i guess um, yeah there is a lot of arcane stuff in this game isn't there i mean i think i think one example for me is like you picked out multiplayer i would pick spirit ashes these are ashes that you find through difficult encounters and just in the landscape um they appear in your inventory they are a symbol, for example, three wolves, a jellyfish, some people, um, a hound. Those are the ones <laughs> that I have so far. Um, and you can equip them, um, but they don't do anything at first. They are grayed out. Um, you have a sword on right hand, a shield on your left hand, um, a healing 
potion in the bottom of your uh, your pouch, as they call it, and magic in the top. And you use the D-pad to select things. So if you push right on the D-pad, you can switch between right-hand weapons. If you push left, you can switch between left-hand weapons. If you push down, you can switch between healing potions and ashes. And these ashes, it turns out that you first you have to find it, you have to read the description, you have to understand what it is, you have to understand that it is equipable. None of that is told to you really, as far as I can see. Uh, then you have to find an item, um, a spirit summoning bell, uh, which you find in a shop which has got 20 different strange items in it, none of which you know what they do. Loads of different fingers, loads of different stones, ingredients, and this spirit bell that just happens to be there. Turns out it's one of the most <laughs> essential um, things that you can own in the entire game. Um, but even when you've bought the spirit bell, you can try and use that spirit and it won't summon. And I was just thinking like, what the hell am I doing wrong? I'm trying to do, I'm trying to play the game. I'm trying to summon these spirits that are supposed to help me. And then it turns out that in some areas you can, and in some areas you can't, and the only way that you can distinguish the two is because a weird little gravestone appears on the screen, in the hood, on the left, <laughs> right at the bottom left-hand corner of the screen. This little icon appears, and that means you're in a zone where you can do it. That's not told. I, I felt like if I was told that in the game, I missed it. Um, because that's just a really complicated system with several steps, several items, a process of equipping, a process of using and contextual using, none of which was explained to me. And I found that to be really annoying. Um, mm. And there's been lots of examples of things like that in this game where the user experience and the, the hoops that you have to jump through simply to equip and use the things that you need in the game is difficult in its own right. Like um, I have bought a bow now, but I've tried to use it. And um, whenever I do, the guy reaches for arrows, doesn't find any. Um, it turns out that you have to specially equip arrows in order to use your goddamn bow. Um, and I'm, honestly, I, I just look at these systems and think, what were they thinking um, a lot of the time? Yeah. Um, but I think that as well as talking about combat, as well as talking about world and uh, UI and UX and story, um, the bosses are, are one of the real focuses of the game too. So let's have a chat about mm. them. How many have you discovered or faced so far? Um. I faced no, maybe three or four. I think four. There mm -hmm. was um, <laughs> there's the that weird stone dog guardian in like a catacomb. Yep. That was just sort of a bit rubbish. Did you beat <laughs> that one? Sort of, yeah, I beat that one. It sort of slowly edges towards you with a big stone sword, and then floats up, and then floats down. <laughs> yeah. And have breathed fire, like whatever. Um. I beat Margit very easily, the first big boss. Um, mm -hmm. I think I just got lucky with the person I matched with online. Um, I like summoned some wolves to help me. I summoned mm -hmm. someone online and then I summoned like the wizard or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Were there any other and bosses that you of, found before Margit? Did you, did you come across any other random bosses? <clears throat> no, I kind of went straight to Margit. Um, uh, but I did come across one today and I think there's this area in like the south of the first region um, that I keep forgetting the name of. Uh, <laughs> I think it might and, be uh, Morn. Is it Morn? Um, I think I remember that there was a castle Morn to the south of where you begin. Uh, not even, I think just the first, the first region in general. Limgrave. Um, yeah, Limgrave. So in Limgrave, at the bottom of Limgrave, there's like this hilltop and there's a load of like... <laughs> There's wormy things. 
like anal beads. Yeah, I know with, what you like, mean. Glowing eyes. <laughs> I know what you mean. And like in the middle of them, they're, they're all staring towards this one point, and in the middle of that point, it's like an endless jail or something. Yeah, and the you wolf press a button and like this this crazy invisible sort of lizard arsehole appears and um <laughs> tries it on with you i didn't manage to beat him i kind of just was like nope i'm mm-hmm. not in the mood for that um and yeah now i'm on godric the grafted who you know not a friendly chap and i'm actually struggling with a lot mm-hmm. uh i know how to beat him it just seems like i'm just getting bad luck every time right i know what you mean i would actually like to talk about that market fight um so there, there are the optional bosses, and these things remind me a little bit of let, like think of something like shrines in Breath of the Wild, or like the um, the little combat challenges that you'll find in Immortals: Phoenix Rising. Like lots and lots of open world games have these small capsule activities where you come into a couple passageways. In in um, Elden Ring, they are they're all different in design. Um, they have a slightly different look or feel about them but they have common elements as well you have to run through a series of challenge rooms um, which are characterized by traps and different kinds of enemies say gargoyles in one skeletons in another Um, there's just a few enemies that you have to pick off and they are set up to to trip you over basically Um, so you have to learn this little sequence of corridors kill all the enemies pull a lever that opens a boss door back at the start so it's quite a satisfying little i think they're called catacombs and they are dotted yeah. around the map. Um, you only find them if you stumble across them, really, which is kind of interesting. Um, enjoyable. It makes it worth looking everywhere in this world. And then behind the boss door, you'll, fa- you'll face a mini-boss, basically. Um, mm. Those were the first bosses that I found in the game. I found one called Mad Pumpkin Head, who has a giant gold pot on his head. He headbutts the ground um, and swings a club at you, and he's just kind of crazy. Um, and he killed me a lot of times. I found the Erdtree Burial Watchdog, which is the one that you were talking about. I found a yep. guy called the Black Knife Assassin. Um, and then Margit the Fell Omen. Uh, and Pumpkinhead killed me a lot. Um, I was getting him down to about half energy, um, but I just wasn't able to dodge him well enough. Um, and that was the first boss that I found. I went away, I leveled up, I learned how to use the goddamn Spirit Bell, which was a obscure process an arcane process um but the spirit bell is great it means once per battle you can summon um, a white spirit that will fight alongside you in a boss battle um and you find them all around the world these these spirit ashes or whatever um i have been using i don't know where i found it but i found one that was a group of nobles and so you know those zombies shambling around the landscape doing menial tasks it's them basically um three of them have torches two of them have swords they move very slowly, but they will surround a boss and they will set it on fire and they will distract the hell out of it. Um, and so Pumpkinhead was suddenly just lashing out at these five shambling zombies and I was able to just kill him very easily. Um, I could walk away if I got hit and heal and he'd be distracted. I could go back to him and do charge attacks and I just took him out. Um, and in that play session, when I'd realized that I had leveled up my weapon, I'd leveled up my health, I had my spirits working... I then went and murdered the Erdtree Burial Watchdog. I then went and murdered the Black Knife Assassin, both on the first go. And then I thought, okay, I'm ready for the castle. And I came for Margit, the Fell Omen. This is the first story boss of the game. I would say that this game seems to enjoy throwing varied bosses at you in a really kind of fun way, actually. Um, They're like little skill checks. They're little 
challenges. Each one has a different character. The Black Knife Assassin was very fast and he darts around. He's kind of hard to hit. Again, I used my Spirit Posse and they distracted him and I was able to get him. Uh, the Watchdog, as you said, was pretty slow. Um, but Margate yeah. is a whole different ball game. So this is a story boss. So you finally get to the castle um, and you cross the bridge to go in. Um, this booming voice comes down and he's like, foul tarnished, who do you think you are? And he jumps down. He's this massive, hulking, rotten ogre with a tiny face covered in boils. And he has a giant stone sword. Um, and like, he's just, he's a very grotesque, giant character. Uh, but he speaks in this, this, this kind of aristocratic English voice. And so he's clearly like one of these fallen lords that we've heard about, you know, or at least he's part mm. of that lineage. Um, and Margit is really hard, um, in my opinion. He has a few different attacks designed to set you off guard, designed to break your shield if you're trying to just turtle under your shield. He has range attacks, and not just range attacks, but he will um, mix in range attacks with his combos to throw you off guard even more. Um, and I, I actually came up against Margit. I tried about six, seven times to beat him, um, I was just dying every time. Um, then I realized I can I can summon my spirits. I can summon um, a computerized NPC, just a random like virtual buddy, this this wizard guy who'll come in with me. And if I can distract Margit for long enough, then his attention is elsewhere. He's he's flailing at this uh, this ghost wizard. He's trying to fight off my spirits, and I have a lot more leeway to avoid his attacks, to avoid his attention and to land critical hits. Um, and so the way I finally got through Margate, I think it was on about the 10th time, was that I used um, a spirit ash called the Rotten Stray. It's just one dog instead of the three wolves, but it's very nimble and it adds poison damage to him. Um, and so his health was just ticking down visibly over time, um, quite quickly, actually. So I would say probably a quarter or a third of his health was taken away by my spirit animal guy. And then because I had this wizard and the spirit, I was able to just uh, keep my distance a little bit more. Um, I discovered that jump strikes, if you do a jump strike and a heavy hit, then you have a good chance of staggering him, which means he falls to his knees. I discovered how to do critical hits, which is when you drive your sword into this kind of pro prostate, like a prostrate rather, um, staggered enemy and cause a lot of damage and eventually was able to take Margit down um, with me and my spirit buddy and then this summon. So it seemed like the real struggle there was, first of all, learning how to dodge his shit. Like he kind of comes at you with all kinds of crazy combos that are custom made to trip you up. And this was this felt like the first real boss to me. Um, it was a real skill check. Um, and it was the first time when I'd had like a, a genuinely terrifying enemy that just seems to dole out so much damage. If you get caught in a combo, then you're kind of dead. And so it really was the culmination of um, all of that wandering and leveling up, learning how to use smithing stones on the weapon, learning how to use the spirit bell, learning how to summon, learning how to dodge roll, uh, block, what you can and can't block, and then learning the, the timings of Margit. And so this felt like the first real Dark Souls boss to me, and it was really satisfying to take him down. You know, um, I, I've often thought that people talk about <laughs> the euphoria that they feel after overcoming these difficult bosses. I've never really felt that. You know, in Hollow Knight, um, I was more like I'd get through a boss and then I'd feel a sense of relief that it was over. And I would say, like, thank fuck I never have to do that again. I got through it. <laughs> I dragged my ass over the line. And now I can continue with the fun part of the game. 
But I have to say, taking down Margit, I think partially because of the mythology of difficulty around these games, um, partially because I had like struggled so hard with the game initially, I did mm. feel pretty empowered. I did get that feeling of like, yes, I did it. Um, I've taken down one of these main story roadblock bosses in these landmark difficult games. And I have to say, it felt pretty good. And it's the first time that I felt that um, from a game in you know, a really long time. Mm. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, uh, I, it's, it's also kind of hurts though, just knowing it's going to get harder. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, <laughs> but I think when you, there's that moment where, where, you, you know, you get the boss down to the last, maybe 10%. Mm-hmm. And that's when I start panicking happened with Margaret. I start going, Oh shit. Like, Oh shit. We're in uncharted territory here. Like, this could actually happen. This could actually happen. And you're like desperate, like yeah. desperate, desperate, scrappy fighting. Yeah. To try your and heart get is over racing and your hands are sweaty and you're like starting to, your emotions kick in. Right. And it gets harder yeah. to play. Yeah. And then, and then you do it and you're like, ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you um, had a pretty different experience with Margaret. I understand that you went the co-op route, um, ah. I, tr- I tried that, but I got a pretty weak co-op character who I think was probably about the same level as me. Um, and we both died pretty rapidly. Um, but it sounds like you got a pretty overpowered, like dark souls community helper. Yeah. Chicken feed that market. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I'm, I've, I've, I'm, I think I'm approaching the second boss that you're right now. So I'll see if, um, if this role can continue and if it, and if this is actually kind of, if it's happening, you know? Yeah, you'll do it. Just believe John. <laughs> yeah. So it's been an interesting time playing this one. It's my first Dark Souls game. Um, it's yours too. Um, and you know, it's, I'm still not sure if I like the game in a really strange way. Um, <laughs> I, I do feel that you start chronically underleveled, you die in one or two hits and you deal almost no damage. And so the game feels, um, I know that all game difficulty is artificial and designed, but I do think that the, the combination of the opacity of systems that we've talked about, um, and the underleveling, the underleveling is absolutely nuts. Like when you first start, Mm. you're in no position to really do anything in this game. And it's a real struggle to, to, to drag your ass up to an acceptable level. And I think when I had actually, you know, if you started this game at level 25 with a spirit bell that worked um, and with a decent weapon, then I think that this game would feel, you know, um, perhaps it would dispel some of that mythology that, that surrounds these games, but it would feel better to me. Um, I don't really appreciate the, uh, the underleveling and the way that they they seem to put a hand on the scales against you. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think it's almost, and it's another one of these weird design quirks. I think it's almost a way of like, they're thinking, how do we encourage people to go and explore the world and, and have a few trials and tribulations before they rush headlong into into progressing and, and getting through things? And um, and I don't really know the makeup of, of From Software, but... I don't know with a, I think a lot of like games from Japanese studios it seems like a lot of the devs have either been in that studio for a long time or they've moved around within you know other Japanese game studios which have that you know there's a massive game market in that country which is quite separate from 
you know, a lot of the games we play in the West and like, and it seems like another one of those things where maybe if someone had worked at, I don't know, uh, Bethesda or something and then gone and worked at From Software, you know, they'd have a background of being like, okay, this is how we do things with UI and this is how we do things with building in these design answers. Mm -hmm. Instead, it feels like with From Software, a lot of the time they seem to have invented their own solutions to things and Mm -hmm. kind of got there. To the, to the answer, but in a very sort of roundabout, lateral, like unique way that hasn't doesn't seem to be grounded in the practices of other game development studios. Mm-hmm. It seems very, and I think this is a good example of it. It just seems like, you know, I think some games would go, okay, how do you make people explore the first area more? Well, with Horizon or something, it'd be like, right, well, we'll put a bunch of quests <laughs> in the first area, right? We'll do something like that and people will go and they'll look around and they'll do the follow the quest line. Whereas mm-hmm. this, it's like, okay, the quest line you're following is taking you out of the main area. How do we keep them there? Let's just make them really bad yeah. when they start. <laughs> so they have to stay here and like do, you know, do the legwork before they can go and do the rest of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, it's a very roundabout way of sol- of like squaring that circle, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know where that comes from, but it's, it's almost like a design ethos that is very unique and its own thing, which is, is kind of commendable in a way, to be honest. I think that's like, for, for however right or wrong it is, it's, you know, you can't say it's not a unique approach. Yeah, I agree with you. And yeah, there is a, there is a, a sense of homogeneity that comes to a lot of AAA games. Um, and most open world games are big budget games because it just takes a lot of resources to make them, right? If it's um, it's at least a, a studio of a certain level, um, and the most polished ones are right at the top end. And I guess they are they're trying to appeal to a pop cultural gaming audience, and so it suits them if the game is approachable. Um, it's not the case with From Software, and I think that you are right. Um, this game completely shrugs off that homogeneity. Um, the Ubisoft, like the, the creeping influence of Ubisoft on open world games, which I'm often not a fan of. Um, I find it to be a little reductive. It's like mm. designing many, many instances of the same task that are slightly different and then just placing them around the map um, and then doing that with five different styles. Like here is a ruin castle, here is a challenge dungeon, here is a rebel fort. And then you just do each of those things 40, 50 times. Um, and it feels um, a little shallow and a little dry and a little bland, um, a little mm. like um, like an assemblage of capsules rather than a functioning world, you know. Um, and this this feels different to that. It feels like it belongs to a different lineage um, to that yeah. open world thing. I mean, as much as I love Horizon Forbidden West, um, something that was in my notes for that game is that it feels like... Um, it's like like the state of the union of open worlds or something. It's like we've yeah. taken the climbing from here, we've taken the map markers from here, we've taken the leveling and the skill tree from here, um, we've taken this underwater stuff from Assassin's Creed, we've taken this from God of War, like this companion stuff, a little mm. bit from Mass Effect. Um, and there is very little in Horizon that is original feeling. Um, it is definitely yeah. an assemblage, and you can see where all of the elements have come from. And you are right that this game Elden Ring feels like it's just from a different dimension and um, which does mean that you yeah. have to relearn or, or rather unlearn all of your expectations on how things work 
um, which is, I guess, the difficulty barrier that I'm talking about in terms of just basic elements of the game, right? Like how to equip stuff, mm. et cetera, how to navigate, how to use my different things. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like this funny image in my head of like, you, know, you have Miyazaki and his whole team and, and they've just been, you know, in their, in their tower somewhere, their dark tower, making their Dark Souls games for a few years. And one of the employees comes in one day and he's like, oh, I, he- I heard there's like these games where <laughs> the world's open <laughs> and you can walk around in it. And they're like, wow, how would we do that? Let's try that. And like, it's almost like an open world game made by people who have not played any other open world game. Right. And they just sort of thought, "How? okay, how can we, uh, maybe Breath of the Wild, like, oh yeah, the new Zelda's out. Let's just try, let's try and do that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It does. It feels like a little capsule of game making. And yeah, I think that's a kind way to look at it. And that's a good way to look at it. Um, I will try and bear that in mind as I am like uh, swearing at my TV because I can't equip my potions or my like my golden dung coated monkey hand bracelet charm or whatever the hell I have to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, okay. So we, we've kind of covered all of the the basics of this game now and, and talked around a little bit, but in terms of that, that critical response and that, mm. you know, that, that kind of unavoidable era defining massive universal acclaim that this game has uh, received in the media. Uh, what's your take mm. on that now? Having played like 10 hours or 15 or whatever you've played, um, what's your, what's um, your initial feeling about this one personally? Like if you had been put in the position of reviewing it, uh, where do you think you'd be at in terms of uh, how you would critique this one or, or rate it or review it? I have a feeling that whatever I currently think the game is, it's like that conception is probably going to radically change mm-hmm. uh, multiple times. And so I'm just not sure. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like with some open world games, you get given the formula and the formula just repeats. But mm-hmm. from what I can tell, like I just think there's going to be a lot of curveball. So, I mean, I know from, you know, from working in, in, the games media or whatever um you know most reviewers were given 40 to 60 hours to to play the game um in this one i mean there was an early release build which was i think the first 20 hours or so in the first couple regions um and that was a that was a few months back and then they and then they had the review copy so people the people who did those reviews were you know they were able to play for a long time Mm -hmm. uh, a lot longer than i've played so far and and i just don't know i mean I think it's given me enough like to have it that universal and you know people kind of saying oh I think a lot of the people reviewing that were like souls heads but I don't actually think that's the case because there's a lot of people who reviewed it who haven't played them as well and and I don't know I don't know I mean I must have I'm just gonna have to become the Elden Lord to find out <laughs> um I mean I know Dark Souls 3 got like you know 10 out of 10s as well and probably the original Dark Souls 2 Sekiro you know, Sekiro was kind of open world as well, though, and that didn't didn't have people giving it like Half Life Two levels of praise. I mean, the the score is insane. It's like it's Bioshock, Half Life, Breath of the Wild, Elden Ring. Like it's it's like it's like the it's like the Beatles or something. Right. It's the four Beatles. Like that's that's the level. That's the pedestal they're putting it on. Um, and for it to be so universal, I just think. 
there must be something to it. And I think I'm going to, maybe I owe it to the game to just push through the pain a bit and just see where it goes. Cause I have a feeling I haven't really scratched the surface yet, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you might be right. Um, I think it's also, yeah, if you, if you're having to fully immerse yourself in it for a review, I'm, I, I don't envy the people that did have to do that because there's so much expectation on this game. There is so much hype on this game that forming a critical opinion, forming a critical opinion quickly is difficult anyway. I often look at things that I thought about games in hindsight, and it's strange how hindsight can change what you think of a game for better or worse. A game that you really enjoyed, you might see it in a different context. A game that you didn't, you might appreciate more in hindsight. Um, And so, you know, the fact that they have all arrived at this score, um, many of them have not having finished the game, but having seen enough to review it, um, it, it is super interesting. And I, and I think that you're right. I think that this game has got, you know, it's got a lot in store. From, from what I hear, you know, when you hear people trying to tiptoe around spoilers intentionally, um, a little mm-hmm. bit like the way I had to when I reviewed Inscription or Forbidden West, because there are plot curveballs in that, all you can really do is allude to a level of surprise that you want to convey to people. And from what I hear from Elden Ring people, they... They say that the game does change and it goes to places that you really wouldn't expect. So um, I just hope that I can hang in there. I hope that my um, enthusiasm can make it in a way. Like, you know, the last really hard game that I tried to play was, I think, Returnal, another game that got very good reviews. Um, I really struggled with it. Um, I managed to get past the first big boss, which took me maybe 12 hours of play. It was very frustrating. I felt stressed and a little bit miserable playing Returnal. So having beaten that yeah. first boss, I thought, okay, I've, I've seen the game. I've done that, that accomplishment and that feels okay to me. It feels okay to just let go of this game. Um, so I am aware that I can flame out on difficult games sometimes. I've got a feeling yeah. that Elden Ring maybe, you know, I don't feel exhausted by it like I did with Returnal. I feel intrigued. Um, but I, I do think that it is a, a roller coaster. It's a real emotional roller coaster playing a game like this. You go from feeling wretched to feeling competent to feeling like a complete badass. And then I just know that all of the levels that you've built to get past something are going to mean nothing because that's what this game does. It likes to slap you down again. Um, and you have to go through that process again of the feeling of impossibility and pushing the boulder up the hill. Um, and I do think that as you were saying with the jar people and with the the hell zone that we've discovered um, and that place that you've not yet been, I'm sorry if that was a spoiler for you, but the, uh, the Siofra river area, which is just very different. Um, I, I do think that it has got potential to, you know, to grow this, um, this strange, um, surreal horror, Alice in Wonderland, bizarre, bizarro fantasy world into something mm. super compelling. And I am curious to see where it goes after we get out of this, this um this first area of this big castle and uh and limgrave yeah i mean uh you know ca- catch you in three months for part two of this with the four hour uh wash up of being elden lords <laughs> okay it's a deal let's get back together when we've played enough to do like uh i don't know if we'll ever be in in a place of lore expertise to do a spoiler cast but if this has been our first impressions of this game it would be fun to come back together later and um and to talk about it again and see, and, and see how we how we did. Let's just stay in touch and do that, shall we? Yeah, I want to go play it now. <laughs> All right, let's do it. All right, well, thanks for taking a couple of hours out of your, your weekend, out of your Elden Ring time to come and, and talk to me about the game. It's been fun.
That's all right, John. Thanks for having me again. So that was me and Kieran's conversation about Elden Ring. I hope that you really enjoyed that one. It was really fun to talk to Kieran about that game. I'm kind of curious about where we will both end up on this one um, across the time that we're going to play it and how far we will get and if we will persist for it through it rather and if Kieran will indeed become the Elden Lord. I hope he does. Um, I'll be back next week with a new episode, maybe about... Uh, far changing tides or something like that let's just see how things go Um, it gets kind of difficult to produce weekly episodes when you are in the throes of really enjoying a big game you know if you're spending all of your time on horizon or elden ring it's going to take you more than a week to finish those games and so producing a weekly podcast um, really suits itself to to playing shorter games i think but maybe after after really engaging with these two, it will be time to just take the foot off the gas a little bit and to get back into the swing of playing short indies, playing Switch games. I do also have Tunic on the back burner. I haven't yet uh, tried it, but I've been really looking forward to that one as it's from the makers of Chicory, which was one of my games of the year last year. And I am really looking forward to Far Changing Tides as well. I did play the intro to it, and I have to say it was really enjoyable to just be back in that world again Um, to hear the amazing music of Joel Schock, who made the music in the first game too. So I'm really looking forward to Far Changing Tides, and I'm hoping to get to that one soon. Um, If you would like to follow Kieran on social media, you can follow Rad Art Review on Twitter for the Radical Art Review magazine. Uh, Kieran runs that account, so he'll occasionally be commenting on there. You can also find him personally at Facecuddle on Twitter. Um, And I think that we kind of need to, to get Kieran... Um, on Twitter again, he's been uh, shy and posting clips and tweeting about games. So go and tweet at FaceCuddle um, and let's see if we can get him tweeting again. You can find me at Gaming in the Wild on Twitter, on Instagram and elsewhere too. And it's also patreon.com slash gaming in the wild if you'd like to support the show. Um, thanks very much for listening. I'd love to hear from you if you're playing Elden Ring, um, if you've got opinions about anything that we've said. I'd love to hear from you if you're playing something else. Just let me know what you're playing. I'd love to get game recommendations and to hear from people that are, that are listening to the show. That's all from me. Take care of yourselves and each other. Bye-bye for now.